and welcome to Glass Half Full Moon, where if we didn't invite discount werewolves into our Italian mansions, then full moon features would go out of business. I am your lovely host today, the Mistress of the Macabre, Casey, here with my cohort, Gabe. How are you doing tonight, Gabe? I have a very large coffee in front of me because I am going to require it for the recording ahead. Oh, you and me both, except instead of coffee, I have a a tumbler full of booze because whew, I wish I had had it earlier, so I am making up for lost time. Yes, this is a very much a liquor not optional film. We watched, uh, so here's the first thing I uncovered while looking into this film. First of all, it's titled Meridian, also Meridian Kiss of the Beast, also Phantoms. And also the ravaging. Why does it have so many names? I couldn't tell you. It might have been a localization thing, because I mean, like in certain regions, films do come out as different things. Because I mean, like take for example, Peter Jackson's uh, *Brain Dead*, actually had to come out in the U.S. as *Dead Alive* because a movie already existed with that title. But right. that's a good movie. We're here to talk yes. about bad movies. We're here to talk about *Meridian*. And God, I really wish we we weren't. Just like Puppet Master, we get excruciatingly long intro sequence. Yeah, I. At least this one wasn't done over still image of puppets, but instead just stone statues. That just why? Also, there's just some person named Charlie in the opening I, credits. There's no I'm last glad name. You noted that. Who the I'm glad you noticed that. Who the fuck are you, Charlie? What gives you right to a mononym? You ain't Cher. The artist formerly known as Charlie, yes. <laughs> um, so we get two minutes twenty of opening credits. We then get uh, a dwarf with a very large whip. We get a parade of weirdos coming out of this thing that looks like some kind of oblivion portal it is a slow motion circus procession coming out of the mouth of a giant stone face with no explanation no explanation i kind of dig it if i'm being honest i mean it's probably one of the only high points of the movie so i i will say just in general with this film there are certain aesthetic choices that i i like i guess that's that's the most I can give it. Yeah, I I do have to agree there. I like the focus on architecture. I like the focus on sculpture. But I do feel like before we go any further, we should really preface this by saying we, we agreed that Puppet Master was neither a good nor a bad movie. It was a movie. Meridian is straight up a bad movie. This is a bad movie. This is a legit bad movie. This isn't... This is a romantic horror, or it's trying to be, and we are also going to warn you straight up, there is a lot of sexual assault in this movie. I don't know what is wrong with Charles Band, considering he... This is the second film so far in our roster, both of which were written by Charles Band, both of which were directed by Charles Band, both of which have a lot of sexual themes, and this one is incredibly heavy on sexual assault. So... Well, the, the screenwriter, the guy who did the screenplay, Dennis uh, Pauly, I think is how it's pronounced, 
also did wrote Reanimator and From Beyond. Okay, yeah, that actually makes sense. Like, there's some weird. So here's the thing about Reanimator and From Beyond: they also have some gratuitous, weird sex stuff. But to be fair, Reanimator does it well with the visual pun of the head doing head. Oh yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And you can thank Brian Usna for that. Oh yeah, Brian Usna's great. But as I said, we're not here talking about good movies. We're here talking about <laughs> bad movies. And moving on from the weird-ass slow-mo circus procession, we end up moving into a church for some reason with a little boy coming into the painting saying, Oh, this was donated by the lady of the castle. And the pastor straight up says, This church doesn't need more art. I'm just like, what church is going to turn down a donation like i thought i thought all you really cared for was money grubbing at the point where you don't have to pay taxes well okay here's so on that front it, i guess you could say that he didn't imagine it to be very valuable which is he is later proven wrong he is later proven wrong but also what really irks me about that only partial italian translations they're speaking, yes, that is exactly what I was going into. They're speaking in Italian for a good chunk of this scene, and only some of the sentences are translated via subtitles. It's like, apparently they just assume that we don't want to know what's going on, and honestly, I wish I hadn't known what was going on, so maybe they did me a favor. Yeah, there are... It seemed sometimes the Italians are speaking... Italian, and there are subtitles, sometimes there's not. Sometimes they say Italian words, but they aren't translated. Like, senior, Senorita is, like, there just as a word in the subtitles, but it does not have the translation of that word. Which is really weird. But from there, we we discovered that the the painting is... The painting over top of... The painting has been painted on on top of and the painting underneath it is potentially very valuable. And we discover this by one of the guys just sort of licking his, his thumb and, like, rubbing on the painting. And I'm, I'm almost 100% certain that's not how paint restoration goes. Mmm, tastes like lead. Mmm, tastes like mummies. Mmm, <laughs> tastes like Venetian-era Italy. But... We we carry on. They bring the uh, painting to someone who can do a restoration. We meet one of our first main characters, Gina, who looks exactly like Zoe Deschanel. Also, is she really a main character? I going through the film, I feel like her only job is for exposition. When your main characters are are otherwise the the one female lead and a guy playing two roles i think that she counts as one of the as one of the main roles i guess but to be fair by that point the dwarf with the whip could also be called one of the main characters dwarf with the whip is the best character dwarf with the whip is your favorite character mr salazar did he actually have a name no that's a resident evil 4 reference oh okay there's a dwarf in Resident Evil 4 named Salazar, who is very closely dressed like that. It is a good thing that you warned me that you had a reference that I would not understand. But am I crazy? Doesn't she look uh, like exactly like Zoe Deschanel? 
you know, I wasn't paying attention when I watched it. This and she does she does look a little bit like Zoe Deschanel, but she doesn't have the doe eyes. Yeah. And it, it's the yeah. doe it's the doe eyes that make a Deschanel. But anyway, she's telling them like, yeah, I can do the restoration, but like I'm gonna go be spending time with my friend, and I got this other stuff to do. And they're like, no, fuck this one. You restore this one for some reason. <laughs> you get it done by Monday. But we then cut to our true main character, uh, Catherine, who's a rich bitch. <laughs> hey, hey. It's nobility, thank you. <laughs> she has a nanny. Like, anyone who has a nanny is officially part of the upper class and needs to be eaten. To be fair, I think her nanny is probably one of the best characters, though. The nanny with a dark secret that we will soon learn. I, I liked the nanny. I, I kind of just wanted to give her a hug. She is very she's very friendly. But to be fair, that might have been my own personal biases, because she reminds me a lot of my own grandmother, and I'm just like, oh, I want a hug now. But this is not the time for hugs, because as Gina arrives to spend the weekend, well, I guess just the night, with Catherine... They find a traveling circus has set up on the castle grounds. They have. Uh, do you remember the name of the circus? Was it like Favre's World of Wonders? Yeah, I think so. It's something along those lines. But my main point is like, how did a traveling sideshow get permission to set up on the castle grounds, given that it is private property? And why are there... And why are there all those people there? Okay, here's the thing. So, first of all, the two characters, Gina and Catherine, it is very early on distinguished that they are just friends, and I just thought, those cowards! They could have given us the greatest lesbian love story of all time. This was 1990. Do you really think that was going to happen from full moon features? I wish they did. Because it would have been beautiful. No, unfortunately, this is not Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly. As much as I wish it was, we need to get our sexy lady love elsewhere. But, so, the uh, Zoe Deschanel looks out the window and is like, hey, look, there's a traveling uh, sideshow outside. And it does look like she's looking, like, straight out the window into the castle grounds. But we soon watch the pair as they walk like half a mile down from the castle through these creepy statues. With a little bit of exposition. Like, yeah, a wizard supposedly built the castle and then he turned his enemies to stone. And it's just like, it was like a super offhanded thing. It's never brought up again. I mean, it's referenced again, but it is, has no narrative impact that the wizard has turned his enemies into stone statues that resemble their sins. Yeah, there's no bearing to that at all. The only reason I could think it's brought up is because these statues were just there while they were filming, and they were like, oh yeah, let's, let's get this in the in the movie. These are This is production value, boys. We need a reason for this, though. Oh, uh, let's... Uh, a wizard did it. Fucking wizards! Charles Band was like, wizards! <laughs> was that the coke <laughs> so, so much coke so much coke but they get to the sideshow and they meet uh john favreau 
No, 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 no. The juggler? That was fucking John Stamos. Yeah. <laughs> Juggling John Stamos. It was literally the first thing I thought of. So they get the uh the sideshow and the the leader, his name is like what, Lawrence? They we later find out that his name is Lawrence. So Lawrence is up there, he's doing a show. Let's let's just call him let's call him John Favreau from now on, because Mr. Favreau. <laughs> yes, Mr. Favreau. I loved your work with the Mandalorian. <laughs> but uh, Mr. Favreau is there and he is is starts going on about how the only true value of an object is how objectively interesting it is. Therefore, monsters are the most valuable object to have in any at any given time. What? Uh, that I I think this guy's seen too many art house movies. The, this guy tries real hard to sound like really pro- profound in his statements. But what, as, as, as soon as you break it down, it's like, okay, wait, anything that is objectively interesting is inherently unobjective because everyone finds different things interesting. True. I mean, you don't find moths and butterflies as interesting as I do. Yeah, and to be fair, we probably both would find monsters as equally as entertaining. That is true. So, I mean, he but is true there. That is true, however, but it's also like, what? What can does does that mean? Money has no purpose. It's just our currency has been uh, changed into monsters. <laughs> I, I if if I could have a pocket full of just like little tiny monsters, though, I think I would be very happy. Just a pocket full of D and D minis. <laughs> no, just little actually like little living monsters, just like little tiny ones that fit into the, my palm. I would honestly be so happy. I would collect them all. I would. Be... I'm going to need, like, 15 beholders for this <laughs> jug of milk. Wait, pocket full of monsters. I literally just described Pokemon. <laughs> po- and Pokemon are traded. <laughs> this movie takes place in the world of Pokemon. Confirmed. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, apparently this co- this is confirmed that you've heard it for the first time here. Pokemon are the world's most valuable currency. And honestly, if you've been watching TikTok lately, that's not a baseless accusation. Here's the thing. I haven't, so I can't comment on that. Pokemon cards are incredibly hard to find right now because people are realizing, holy crap, these things actually can be valuable. And now people are buying them endlessly, trying to get rich quick. All because Logan Paul decided to unbox on TikTok and uh, decided to tell people about how valuable they actually are. I hope Logan Paul gets turned into a stone statue representing his sins by a wizard. What would his sin be? Greed. He's got. He's getting a thousand paper cuts from Pokemon cards. <laughs> and that's cardboard cuts, too. Those sting. Yeah. Speaking of the greatest monster of all, we, we cut back to the sideshow, where we also get some sideshow axe, which is... The dwarf fires an arrow into a drum. No, not the dwarf. The dwarf was holding the drum. Mass, oh, right. That's yeah, right. Ma- mass dude with the creepy cloak who makes googly eyes at Catherine is the one who fires the arrow. Right. And we also get a guy who goes full Friday part one on the snake. Yeah, I I hope that wasn't a real snake. 
I doubt it. Like, I don't think they're going to... For one, at this point, we knew it was illegal. Two, he's putting that shit in his mouth. I mean, Ozzy Osbourne bit the head off a bat. Yeah, but Ozzy Osbourne is, like, mentally deranged. That is true. But we get there, and we get even more weird metaphysics from Mr. Favreau. And they're like, we as magicians are uh, outlaws of time and space. Which is stupid. Any, Any real magician who actually does like stage magic they're gonna be like no every it's all fake it's all super fake and it's just we're just good at tricking you yeah but it's this this guy is one fedora away from a milady am i wrong no you're 100 percent right but from there we for some reason gina is like yeah let's go backstage and like hang out with these guys for also did can can I just mention that that teleporting skeleton pod thing is so stupid. The back of the stage is too dark for the audience to see. He's obviously just going to open a panel in the back of the ca- cabinet, walk out, go to the other one, and enter that one from the back. Because no one can see because it's so damn dark. Is the implication that he's knows... So I know he's like... So, spoilers, I guess. We're cutting ahead a little bit. He is cursed, right? He's some sort of actual magic. Okay, so he is, like, casting spells. Possibly? But anyways, Gina is like, let's go backstage, even though she really should not be doing that, like, at all. That's, like, invasion and stuff. But from there, we... I th- one of the per- people are like... Oh yeah, whatever. We it was great. You did a great job at the show because you came on the stage and helped us out. Blah blah blah. And for some reason, Gina suggests that the sideshow act come to the Italian castle that uh, Catherine is owns and have dinner with them. See, people can be real charitable with other people's money. And then Catherine agrees. She's obviously the wilted heroine. Like, she's got no spine. Gina is the more outgoing one, of course, and is sort of the yang to her yin. That sort of stereotypical bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but still. And and then And then we cut to a cheap imitation of the dinner scene from Freaks. Yes. It, so the servants are there. They're like, you know, being like, oh, what are you doing? This is really irresponsible. You can't be going around and doing these things. And then Catherine's like, yeah, whatever. It, it, I'll clean up after them. And they're, they get up. They're like, hey, let's have a toast to the hospitality of uh, the lady of the castle. The dwarf is standing on the table. And like, I mean, I know, dude, you don't weigh that much, but please... Get off the table, that's very rude. Also, I don't know where your dirty-ass feet have been. Oh, here's something that you, as an artist, I want to get your opinion on. Yes. Uh, They have a discussion, uh, Mr. Favreau and Catherine, where uh, Mr. Favreau's like, Ah, toast to illusion, and then Miss, uh, Miss Catherine is like, Oh, I'm an artist, I live for, I live for the truth, not illusion. 
and I just put in my notes, oh, yes, famed realist Salvador Dali. <laughs> Picasso, the icons of getting true representation of their subjects. Uh, Screaming Mad George. Right. It, so it it seems like she's putting a lot in a box to be able to say that she as an artist lives for truth. Okay, this is this is obvious setup for labor for the later half of the movie, because like, art is subjective. Truth is inherently subjective. Your truth might be different from someone else's truth. It's you've got scientific truths, which are like the laws of the world, physics, um, biology, that kind of stuff, and then you've got artistic truths, which are basically morality. And those vary from person to person. This, the whole, oh, I'm an artist, I deal with truths, is bullshit. Your truth is subjective. You went on as much of a rant as I hoped you would about that line. I mean, I'm not a professional artist by any means, but it's, it's still, I mean, like... All of my art friends that I've, all of my art friends that I've brought this up with have been like, yeah, that's bullshit. This, that's some dumb shit. A, a good portion of the point of art is to create things that aren't scientifically true. It's like, I do majority of our art for our D&D games. My six foot three fire genasi paladin ain't real. She ain't the truth. It's, it, it is, the, the writing in this film is so bad. It is. It's the worst. Thank you, Charles Band. Speaking of the worst, we get to the reason that this film is the worst film ever. After they have the toast... They have a third one! They have a third toast, in, uh, which is the point where that whole illusion versus truth thing takes place... But the dwarf is the one who filled up their glass, and it turns out the wine was drugged. And from here we get, no exaggeration, I timed it, roughly ten minutes of sexual assault. I'm glad you timed it because I meant to, and then I forgot because I was just like, I don't want to rewind this and have to watch this again. This is an, This movie is like an hour and ten minutes long. And a full ten minutes of that is devoted directly to sexual assault. Or at least in this single scene. Because there's there's more, remember? There's more. There is more. So it's like, at least the final 20 minutes of this movie, or at least 20 minutes of this movie in whole, is sexual assault. It is. It's, it's genuinely disgusting. First, it happens in front of the whole troop. And then he brings Catherine to a private location, strips her naked, and then leaves, and his fucking twin comes in and finishes up the job. And I'm just like, wow, bait and switch. That's not consent. There is no... So, okay. Again, we're going to be skipping... I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. The, The other reason this film is the worst is because she then also falls in love with the man that sexually assaulted her. 
feels like Stockholm Syndrome. It's the worst. Uh. And the conceit of the film is that the he also loves her and that's how why the film can happen and i need to say why sexually assault her then the film would have worked so much better if it were the case where his brother let his twin brother in and was like yeah have your way with her do whatever and he didn't and showed that he was willing to restrain himself to, from doing this horrible act. But no, he just sexually assaults her. They spent so long setting that up. Do you really think they weren't going to continue and not have their full ten minutes of sexual assault? Because while, while this all is going on in the other room with Catherine, Gina's getting assaulted by the other dude, Lawrence. Lawrence and the twin brother, who we know as the masked man... Who's making oogly eyes at Catherine earlier. And who we later... Oliver. Yeah, we later find out his name is Oliver. Like, 45 minutes into the movie. Which, why did they... Why... Why were they twins, though? I don't know. To Were they literally... Was it literally that they didn't want to pay another actor? Yeah, probably. So, this goes on for 10 minutes. It's uncomfortable... It's one of those things in film where these scenes are put in because they're like, yeah, we gotta get sexy eroticism in our movie, even though that's not... Boobs. Even though I'm potentially sitting here watching this with my friends and I don't particularly want to do that, but after roughly eight minutes of the sexual assault, Oliver turns into a fuck-off werewolf. (laughs) I... I know he's meant to be a beast of some sorts, but he's he's a straight-up werewolf without a tail. He's a fuck-off werewolf. <laughs> yeah. And those that facial prosthetic is so bad. He can't close his mouth. Oh yeah, the werewolf costume is horrible. Like, I, I watch way too much face-off. I watch way too much YouTube about practical effects in horror films, and I know a ton about prosthetic work. And that prosthetic's horrible. Like, he straight up could not close his mouth because of the way it was glued to his upper lip. I'm just like, I bet his mouth was so dry. And I bet that was so uncomfortable. We we get a better view of it later on the film. And, like, the, the not even just the prosthetic, the whole costume is bad. Because the big, like, furry suit has, like, a big fat hunch on the back. And his abs are, like, spray-painted on. It's so bad. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's move on from this horror show of a 10-minute long scene to the next morning when Catherine is even like I think something bad might have happened. Like she's not even completely sure what the hell happened. Yeah. So this was before we she we learned that she falls in love with her sexual assault exalter. I I did in this moment i praise the movie with a semi realistic depiction of a sexual assault where you're you're kind of wake up and it's like i don't know what happened but i know that something bad happened and there there's something wrong but it you don't it it was in my opinion kind of faithful but then they throw that completely out the window and make it into a love story yeah 
As far as I'm concerned, the only horror-turned-love story that works is David Cronenberg's The Fly. <laughs> uh, yeah. But she goes about her day, she was walking around, she goes and walks into a room, and there's a woman just bleeding out on the bed. How did she hear that from so far away? Because apparently... Ghosts. Ghosts. <laughs> they apparently can uh, project their voices through a huge fucking castle because I have no idea where she was, but apparently this this ghost lady was in the North Wing, which apparently has been closed off for eons. Also, why was she wandering around her own castle as though she'd never been there? Well, she hasn't been there in, like, they said 11 years, so ten I years. guess... 10 years. Like, I guess she would probably be rediscovering it, but at the same time, it's it's very odd it's also probably because the, the actress just didn't know where she was going. Yeah, that too. She also might have just not been sure what she was doing in the first place. And we get the um may the uh, nanny comes and is like, "Oh, you saw the ghost child. The ghost child isn't real. Ignore the ghost child. Ghost child doesn't exist." And then we cut to another scene where Oliver approaches Catherine and has the audacity. To say to her, what we felt in that night was real. I don't think that was Oliver. I think that was Lawrence. Remember, Lawrence is the one that tied her down to the bed uh, after this little bit. No, I think this is a... Right. Okay, wait. Right. Yeah, Lawrence is the one that approaches her, probably pretending to be Oliver? In a, in a smarter movie, this would be a compelling scene. Yeah. In a better movie, this would work. But he br- he approaches her again in her own fucking castle. It's like, how the fuck did you get in here, dude? And he's like, yes, it was terrible, but what we did was real. It was the truth. And then he straight up sexually assaults her again, tying her to the bed where the dead woman once was. No, 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 you're getting mixed up. That scene doesn't happen yet. There's another scene of that exact scenario happening, but it happens later because I remember... Because first, what we get is a scene of Catherine following the ghost lady and seeing her being carried by Oliver as the wolfman through what I can only assume is a portal to hell. It does look warm and toasty. That must be the way that they're getting in and out of the castle. I mean, more than likely, it's the only entrance slash exit I've ever seen them take that's not the giant gaping light mouth. And then, then that scene you were thinking of before where Lawrence ties up Catherine happens. It's it's two different scenes. Okay. But still, that scene, is that, is that sexual assault counter tally three or four? Okay, here's the thing. Are we, are we doing the tally based on who who gets uh, assaulted or based on if the mo- movie has sexual assault in it no i want to say it's 3 or 4 for this movie alone oh i would s- i say 4 because i yeah. count gina and catherine as two different assaults well obviously yes but gina and then catherine twice first by lawrence and then again by oliver and then this next time by Lawrence. So, yeah, that makes four. 
four in this movie alone. So, um, Oliver is, uh, no, Lawrence is attacking her. Oliver comes in, saves her, and then we get the explanation that the reason that they love each other, that they quote-unquote love each other, is because Oliver was cursed by the wizard that made the tower to turn into a beast whenever he feels love. Therefore, the only person that can kill him is the lady of the castle, but only if she loves him. That, it's convoluted, but that last statement does make a bit of poetic sense in the fact that if you truly love someone, you would put them out of their misery. So that that does make a touch of sense in the whole, if she loved him, she would kill him to free him from the curse. Oh yeah, again, in a better movie, this would work. But this is basically some reverse Beauty and the Beast bullshit. Yeah, it's terrible. It's the worst. Yeah, like, at this point, I was an hour in, and I did not know if I could finish this. Like, I had to step away for about 15 minutes before I could continue, because I was just like, this is some bullshit. So bad. Later on... Oh, and I should say, during this whole time... Um, Gina is restoring that painting. This is why I said Gina's whole job is for exposition. Literally, she is the expository character. So, the way she's restoring this picture seems to be just rubbing paint thinner on it. Which, I don't think that's how restoration works. I mean, yeah, obviously not. Like, I've watched a fair bit of art restoration videos on YouTube. They are actually quite relaxing. I do recommend them if you're ever having a rough day. Uh, watch those or watch some Bob Ross. They are both wonderful. Um, but yeah, just her whole job in this last act is exposition because she's restoring this painting by revealing what's actually underneath the true painting and it's it's what shows the end of the movie. Yes, it is depicting... Do we know why? I have no idea. My initial assumption is that Catherine is like the reincarnation of the wizard's daughter, which would explain why she looked like her. But also, like, why the fuck did she have that crazy red dress in her storage? Like, when it's the 90s? It's because this movie is poorly written, Casey. I know, but I could still ask questions. You're gonna, like, I hope, I, okay, you can do that as long as you're comfortable with not getting answers. I've, I've poured myself a glass of booze. We're doing this podcast. I've pretty much resigned myself to the fact that I'm not going to get answers. Also, I'm fairly certain Charles Band is dead. Okay, now I need to know. I have, I have IMDB for Meridian up. Let me click on Charles Band. And... Do, do, do. I got, we got, we got a birthday, we don't get a death day. Let me, oh shit, he's only 69 years old. What the hell? What? Also, in these promotional videos, he looks like a low-budget Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Google Charles Band and you'll see exactly what I mean. He looks like a low-budget Quentin Tarantino. 
Quentin Tarantino. Oh, he's... Oh, he's such a problematic man, that Charles Band. Uh, I mean, it's like, thank, thank you for creating such garbage for us to review, but also, please stop making this garbage. Or at least, or at least stop until I'm drunk enough for it. <laughs> so we get some more Hell Portal action. Um, and so for some reason, uh, Catherine goes to confession. I don't know why. But she's talking to the father, explaining that her life has been consumed by superstition and magic and bullshit and blah blah blah, and nothing really comes of it. But then, the father races out of the confessional. Which, wait, isn't the whole point of a confessional that you don't know who the person you're talking to is? Yeah, so that does kind of... I don't know, I was baptized Catholic, but I don't practice, so I know for a fact I'm going to hell. Uh, I'm pretty sure that is the point, so it's just another one of those stupid, 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 stupid uh, oversights. But then we get the biggest character twist in the movie, which is where the priest is like, thank you for your donation. She's like, I didn't donate any paintings or anything to you. It was, and the priest is like, oh, it's the lady of the castle, and that's what the boy said. Oh, it must have been Martha, my nanny, who did it. She has dominion over the castle while I wasn't there. He's like, oh, but Martha's been dead for six months. I did the funeral service myself. This is such, like, campfire story. Yeah, the nanny was a ghost this whole time. And... It's a genuinely funny scene to me where uh, Catherine is, like, packing her bags and Martha's like, Oh, Catherine, what's wrong? You seem upset. And Catherine's like, When were you going to tell me you were a ghost? <laughs> yeah, I do, I, that, that, I do have to agree that it's pretty funny. Martha is like a force ghost. Like she she has retained her her sense of self and is like very consciously there. But she also has, but she also has a corporeal form. Right, because she talks to Martha when other people are around. Yeah, like Gina even shook her hand in the beginning of the film. Oh my God, you're right. Like I bet you they just threw this in last minute. Just like, oh, let's, you, you know what, let's, eh, let's shake it up a little. The nanny's a ghost. Again, in a better movie, this could have worked. There could have been little hints spread about where, like, no one but Catherine is talking to this character, or, you know. She interacts with the other house servants. She is seen dealing with physical objects, considering she takes food to and from the table in the dinner scene and the aftermath. Wait, right, she interacts with the other servants. They yes. would have known she's dead. Yeah, so literally, I bet you this was a last-minute addition just to sort of, quote-unquote, spice up the script. But yeah, Catherine confronts Martha about her being a ghost, and we get a scene so disgusting where 
Catherine admits to Martha that she loves Oliver. And specifically, I have this in my notes, um, she says that sometimes he's great, but sometimes he's a monster. What the fuck are you talking about? Every single time you've ever met him, he has attempted to sexually assault you. No, no, no. It's not that she loves Lawrence. It's that she loves Oliver, but she doesn't realize that there's two of them yet. No, she knows. No, she doesn't. No, she. at this point, she knows. Only because Martha told her. Was I paying more attention than you? No, because I watched this movie twice. Why would you do that to yourself? Because I believe in making good content out of bad things. You are a braver soul than I, and I lift my glass to you. Go right ahead. I, I don't... My brain is forever burned. But this is the third time I have in my notes, uh, just fuck this movie. <laughs> um, but she talks with Martha. She's like, oh yeah, you. if you truly love him, you need to set him free. And she does. Which is, like, she puts on the red dress, she goes through the hell portal, she meets up with Lawrence, who's pretending to be Oliver, and they start, She he is going to kill her so that the curse is not lifted, but he specifically wants to do it in front of Oliver to demoralize him? His motivations are very unclear. His motivations are that he blames Oliver for their predicament because they were both in love with the wizard's daughter, but the wizard's daughter only loved Oliver. So Lawrence has been holding a grudge for 400 years. Yeah, I guess. But So Oliver sneaks up with a crossbow. He's about to shoot uh, Also, he's, he's a beast. He has claws. Why does he need a tool? It was very funny seeing this big fat werewolf walk around with a very tiny crossbow. <laughs> I'm just like, werewolf use tools, werewolf man. Werewolf know how to do this. <laughs> werewolf advance. <laughs> werewolf domesticated. Werewolf take archery feet. <laughs> werewolf earn archery badge at Boy Scout camp. <laughs> but... Uh, so the dwarf with the whip comes back, stops Oliver from shooting the crossbow, uh, but then Gina makes her only appearance in the movie after the first scene, where she helps Oliver get the crossbow, he shoots it, hits Lawrence, frees uh, Catherine, and everything seems to be good, but then we get the scene where the supposedly dead killer comes back to life for one final scare. Well, it's because he only shoots Lawrence in the hand. They seem very complicit, knowing that they only shot him in the hand. But then they shoot him. Uh, Oliver shoots him in the chest. And we do get the other one clever thing from this movie, which is uh, Oliver is able to kill Lawrence because he, Lawrence... I mean, Oliver does love Lawrence. And that's... That is a way of of killing him, even though, as stated in the curse previously, 
they can only be killed by the lady of the house. The beast can only be killed with love or something, and apparently Lawrence was the true beast. <laughs> uh, Frozen did it better. Just objectively. Fuck, I hate that movie. But they did this trope better. Yeah, but I still hate that movie. But okay, they get together. Uh, Oliver's back to normal. Also, presumably very naked. Also very naked. But he... he He's like, yeah, this world is not mine anymore. I must return through my blue mouth portal. <laughs> and then Catherine is like, I can't live without you, this man who sexually assaulted me four times. That I met only three days ago. No, less less than three days ago, because... Less than three days. Less than three days, because Gina had not finished her restoration, which was meant to be done by Monday. So yeah, like, literally, probably only two days. A weekend. She's known this man for a weekend. And she's willing to travel through some weird, like, oblivion portal to to the nether realm. And that that's where the movie ends. They all travel also, back. Also, the circus performers go, too. So were they part of the curse as well? They're like the, the um, furniture and stuff from Beauty and the Beast. Except the furniture had more personality. But they didn't have a whip. No, but they had fire. Mm. And so... This film comes to a merciful close. Fuck this movie. I hated it. This... This is a waste of an hour and a half pretending to be a love story. It's... Objectively horrible. It's just bad. Save yourself an hour and a half. Listen to us for an hour... And you'll get the gist of what you missed, and it'll probably be better for you. Yeah, it. this is genuinely a very, very bad movie. A very, very problematic movie in more than a few ways. It could have been interesting if handled very, very differently and not by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> is that what we're calling him now? It's what I'm calling him now. That's a mouthful. We're going to have to find a better nickname for him. It'll it'll come up eventually. This 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 man. This let's beast. call him. Let's call him Charles Bandhammer. Oh, oh shit. But yes. So Casey, what is next on our list? Next is 1990s Shadow Zone, a science fiction horror film directed by J. S. Cardone. So. Hopefully this will be a much-needed departure from the disaster that was Meridian. Because I do like me some sci-fi horror. I agree. And so, with that, I would like to wish all of you an absolutely horrible night. And we'll see you all next time. And please don't watch this movie. Don't watch this movie. Bye! Bye!